Good evening, and welcome to our Wednesday evening service. It is a pleasure and a blessing to be here, and uh, tonight we're going to continue our discussion and study of righteousness. Pastor Tom on Sunday spoke about righteousness and previous to that, and, and so far I think it's been fabulous. This evening I'll be speaking about righteousness, but in a different capacity. This evening I'll be speaking about self-righteousness, which is far different than the righteousness of God. And I think that this is something that I've dealt with, you know, I think that we've all dealt with this in some capacity, right? Self-righteousness comes with pride, with arrogance, and hypocrisy. Throughout the Bible, we see hypocrisy. We see self-righteousness. And where does self-righteousness come from? Where does pride come from? It comes from the enemy. And the most frequent example that we have of self-righteousness is from the religious. Jesus speaks of the scribes and the Pharisees in the capacity that they are hypocrites. They judge others. How? Not based upon their own holiness, not based upon their righteousness, but based upon the law and their belief that they had some special status under the law. But I want to bring this about as well with today. Religion is ultimately self-righteousness. Where does religion come from? Religion is, is effectively man's attempt to get to God. See, Christianity is not about religion. All the other religions of the earth are about man trying to get to God, religion. Christianity is a relationship where God came to man. No other religion, and I've studied religions, no other religion does this. And so all religions are steeped in the notion of the scales, Good and bad deeds. Are your deeds good enough or bad or not in the end? And that's all of religion based upon that. And this is what judgment is. The scales are about judgment. Jesus speaks to the scribes and Pharisees. Um, Paul speaks to them. Speaks to religion about self-righteousness. <clears throat> so in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. Jesus says, judge not. You know, when I study, I'll either watch teachings or I'll listen, and I listen to, sometimes I'll listen to somebody new, and if they start to talk about judging others, I am instantly uncomfortable. When people endeavor to judge others, I question their motivation. Who are you, O oh man, that you should judge another? Jesus says right here, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How frequently do we judge others when we have our own log in our eye? We are all guilty of sin but we somehow fashion this through a religious perspective that says, no, 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 you're righteous. You have the law. You have religion. 
Therefore, you can judge the heathen. You can judge the Gentile. You can judge the unbeliever because you have the law. You have the blood. You have Jesus. Yes, that's... But where does that judgment come from? I am not. I don't want to judge anyone. It's not my job to judge. Jesus says, judge not. I have a lot of issues of my own. And do you know how you come about that realization? You get the word in you, and the authority of the word will bring about the log in your eye to yourself. The word is that which brings about your character flaws. The word reveals it to you. The authority of the word reveals the issues in your heart. You don't know another man's heart. And yet we presume to know it by judging them. You know, there's a book that I read called The Tale of Three Kings. And um, it's about David, um, his son Absalom, and, and Saul, the king. And David talks about the fact that the anointed and judgment, who can know a man's heart? Only God. And he's not telling. So who are you? Who am I to presume to judge another? I've known many people who are religious. Many people who are, how shall I put this, elders or people in their church who pronounce judgment upon others. This is hypocrisy. Look at the speck in your own eye before you try to remove the speck in another's eye. So Jesus says, why do you, he says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. You know, hypocrisy is not something that leads people to Jesus. They don't look at uh, Christians who are hypocritical, who are self-righteous and say, gee, let me get some of that. The world is enough of judgment. The world is enough of hypocrisy. If we would get things in line and understand that our role is not to judge, our role is to reveal the authority of Jesus in our actions and in our love. Not the judgment. How many people run to Jesus because a Christian said, you're going to hell because you're a sinner? Now, to some degree, people can use that as a witnessing perspective. However, far more are brought to Jesus through the example of love. Jesus says the two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. If we love, that will bring other people to the realization that Jesus is God far more readily than when I say to someone or you say to someone or religious self-righteousness says to someone, you're no good because you did this. Think about, well, I'll get to that later. All right. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That seems pretty clear to me. See, Jesus is warning us that the standard we use to judge others will be applied to us in return. Instead, Jesus is encouraging self-reflection and humility. Self-reflection. If you self-reflect and you're humble, 
you are far less likely to judge another. If I think about my own behaviors, I'll do this at work, right? I'll examine how I speak to other people. I'll examine the motivations. If I have a confrontation with someone, I will examine my own heart to determine how it is that this confrontation occurred and what role did I play in it and how did I bring it about, exacerbated it, or how could I have avoided it? See, that's self-reflection. I try to get people to understand this at work. I said, look, you need to self-reflect. I'm not saying that I have all the answers, but what I'm saying is when you walk in grace, in love, in humility, you will not always instantly think that the other party is 100% wrong. See, we tend to do that. We do that in our marriage. We do that in our marriage to the point where, oh, I know she's wrong, or she'll say, I know he's wrong, which happens far more frequently, of course. So the point being is, are you self-reflecting? This is a demonstration of love. This is a demonstration of the Holy Spirit in you. Judgment is not. Did the Holy Spirit say, judge that person? Or does the Holy Spirit say, Love that person. How many people come to repentance because of love and grace? How many people come to repentance because of harsh bondage, judgment, and self-righteousness? Self-righteousness is ugly. It's ugly. Do you want to be ugly? I don't want to be ugly because I know I've spent most of my life really ugly, arrogant, prideful, self-righteous. Self-righteousness does not come from a position of strength or inner positional authority. It comes from weakness. It comes from, it comes from an attempt to deal with the world and shield ourselves from having a broken heart. But it is the brokenhearted who reveal Jesus in humility, in love, not in self-righteousness, we need to self-reflect. Think about that. Think about at work, right? We've all had bosses who we've examined and thought they could have done a better job. And you think, why do you yell at people? You think people like respond to getting yelled at? Do you know why the boss yells and acts up like that? Because he doesn't want you to know that he's terrified that you're gonna realize that he's mediocre or she's mediocre at, at best. Maybe not good. Maybe not as bright as they presume or they show to the world. See, that's what the world wants. What matters to the world is the external locus outside. What is the image? What am I showing to the world as an image? Not the heart. The heart doesn't matter. What was the world perceive of me? That, that's pride because you're concerned with what the world thinks of you. You should be concerned with having a relationship with your Lord. Everything is worship. So if my my focus is on Jesus, who cares what you think of me? Who cares if you judge me? It's none of my business. But that's not generally how we react. So the boss flies off the handle. People come to work and say, wonder what the mood the boss is going to be in today. You think that's a great place to work? You think that the boss comes in and he's like, Hey, how you doing? And slaps them on the back, says, great to see you. They're terrified the boss is going to be in a bad mood. Is that the place you want to work? So the boss, being someone of authority, needs to self-reflect. 
How does, that's how one earns trust of those one endeavors to lead. Self-reflect. Self-reflect in your marriage. So I have, I have marriage problems. All right, well, listen, if you're married, you've had marriage problems. Oh, well, not us, not me. Well, then maybe you're not, I don't know how that works. But as I've said before, my wife and I went through pre-Cana classes before the wedding. Who is thinking about fighting and the problems of marriage before the wedding? You're thinking about the wedding, you're thinking about all the good stuff. And then you wake up the next morning, it's like that movie, uh, The Graduate, right? They, they run off and, then, and they get in the bus and they sit in the back of the bus and they sit down and like the realization of now what? And that's what marriage, that's the day after marriage. Now what? Well, now we get on with our lives, but the reality is now, now's when I need the pre-cana. Now's when I need to be taught in the word about how to be a husband, how to be selfless, <clears throat> how to self-reflect. I know I'm going off on a tangent here. I have a lot of stuff to talk about, and I may not get it to it this evening. Self-reflection is important. Because when you self-reflect, you'll realize that you have a log in your own eye and will be far less apt to judge the speck in your brother's eye. See, what we're doing is we're comparing ourselves to others. That's why we're judging them. We're comparing ourselves. And when you compare yourself to others, you're instantly defeated. No matter which way it goes, whether you think you're better, whether you think you're worse, comparison is from the pit of hell. It is not humility. Self-righteousness. In John 8, 1 through 11, <clears throat> Jesus is talking about the, women, the woman caught in adultery. Right? And uh, he's speaking, he's teaching in the, in the temple, and uh, a group of scribes and Pharisees brings this woman who was caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to get him to be wrong. See, <clears throat> they set themselves up as judges, right, as self-righteous because they had the law. And they didn't think that this guy was following the law, so they're going to use the law to trick him. But Jesus is the authority, and I'll get into authority later on. Because they were trying to trick him because according to the law of Moses, the punishment for adultery was stoning. Yikes. That would not be a pleasant death. I've thought about this, and I, this sounds really stupid, but I can remember reading that when I was younger and thinking to myself, if I'm going to get stoned, I want Roger Clemens throwing the first rock. And I know those of you who don't know Roger Clemens, back when I was younger, he was a pitcher in Major League Baseball, and he threw really hard. I don't want... <clears throat> Somebody who can't throw the rock because I don't want to get bludgeoned before I get, uh, I'm being ridiculous. But that's what I used to think about stoning. All right, so John 8, 1 through 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law, the self-righteous, and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Just think of the arrogance dripping from their tongues. 
the self-righteousness. They're speaking to Almighty God, and they presume to come at him with self-righteousness. Think how offensive that is to God. <clears throat> Does Jesus respond in an offended manner? How do we respond when someone tries to, when someone offends us, when someone tries to mock us, ridicule us, or catch us in, in, in whatever it is? We engage this every single day. Every single day you have the opportunity to be offended. Every day you have the opportunity to bring offense. But you understand when you're offended, you're elevating that other individual as your judge. They're not. All right. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Did it say Jesus immediately condemned her, picked up the stone, and threw it first? Because he was without sin, so he had the right to stone her. Is that what he did? <clears throat> no, he stoops down to write something in the sand with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so finally he stood up and again he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Imagine that. That is speaking with authority. The authority of the word of God. That is what convicts the heart of man, not the self-righteous judgment of man. Even Almighty God here doesn't convict with his word. What does he do? He says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. She just got caught in adultery. What are you, the self-righteous, going to say? Yeah, sorry, sister. Give me a stone. You say, oh, I would never do that. Don't you? Don't you do it every day of your life? I do. And it's disgusting. It's wretchedness. Self-righteous judgment is wretchedness, wretchedness, and I do it all the time. Be very cautious with that. When you start to judge others, immediately get caught in the spirit. Allow the spirit to bring to your mind, nope, <clears throat> do not judge that other. Self-reflect. Be humble. Imagine if we could do that and then shut our mouths so as to no longer run our mouths in gossip or in judgment about the other. Do you know that there's a spiritual realm that is more real than the physical realm? And that when you speak out, remember the power of life and death is in the tongue. And when you speak out, even if you're alone or you're at home with your spouse, when you speak out judgment to someone else, that now in the spiritual realm goes forth to have effect. You can't have it both ways. Jesus says the power of life, the, the Lord says the power of life is in, life and death is in the tongue. And you, the, the, the word in your mouth is the two-edged sword. You can't have it both ways. You can't speak healing. You can't speak life. You can't speak the word out of the same mouth that you speak death, judgment, and gossip. Yikes. So if the word out of your mouth speaking the word itself has the power of life, when you speak gossip and judgment, it has the power of what? Death. Think about every word that you speak about others. Think about your own self-righteousness. At the pace I'm going, this could take me like a year to get through. <laughs> All right. So Jesus says, let he is without sin cast the first stone. 
Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Now, there are many people who say, well, what did Jesus write in the dust? I know there's a lot of people who say he did this, he did that. It doesn't say. People say he was writing their sins in the dust. Maybe. Sounds congruent with the story. I don't know. You know, it's interesting. My, my, my boys and I, we do a Bible study, and frequently I'll have to say to them, yeah, I don't know, right? I, I don't know. You know, we'll be studying the word for eternity, so how is it wrong for me now in this fallen state to say, to, to answer as if I have all the answers? I can say I don't know to them. Either I've not learned it yet, or it doesn't say it. I'm okay with, I don't know. All right, moving on. When the accusers heard this, when he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one. Think of that. So Jesus must have been stooping a little bit of time, perhaps writing their sins, And as they self-reflect, why? Because he is one who speaks with what? Authority. It's not his judgment that convicted their heart. It was his authority. Think about that. And when I say it was his authority, think about when you walk in the room. Let's say you're at work and you walk in the room. Do people think to themselves, oh, good, we're going to have a nice gossip session? Or do they instantly recognize you are one of authority? And not in judgment, but in humility. When you walk in the room, is the presence of the Holy Spirit coming with you, or is a tongue of death coming with you? One who speaks with authority walks in authority as they walk in the Spirit. That is why when Jesus speaks, they say he is one who speaks with authority. He doesn't judge them. He's not saying, he's not pointing out their sins. He didn't point out anybody's sin here. He just said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. But his very presence, which is love and authority, humility, grace, comes out to the point where that's why people come to listen to him. He wasn't selling tickets. They didn't have big signs say, hey, Jesus, one night only, come listen. No, they follow him. Why? Because they know he's someone of authority. Even if they can't articulate it, even if they don't really even know. The disciples didn't really even know. What? But they knew he was one of authority. And what does one of authority do? Does he judge in self-righteousness? He's the... He's the creator of the universe. Clearly, he can judge in self-righteousness, but he doesn't. Why? Because Jesus has come. God Almighty has come in the flesh to be a man, and therefore, as the man, he represents the word, and he speaks the word. He speaks in authority, and he doesn't judge. He comes with love, not the bondage of self-righteousness. Good thing I got a second bottle. All right. So they slipped away one by one. What is the next line? Beginning with the oldest. Hmm. Everything means something, you realize. It's just not part of the story. 
You know, it's not like an author writing a novel. Gee, let me just put something in here, right? You start reading the novel, and they talk about the weather for like 40 pages, right? They're talking about a flower in a field, and you're like, what is happening here? They're setting the stage. Well, you lost me on page, on line four, talking about the lilies flying in the, blowing in the wind. But what they're doing is they're setting the stage. I lost my train of thought. I have no idea where I am. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, beginning with the oldest. It means something. It's there for a reason. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. You see, the crowd was still there. It was only the accusers who left one by one to whom Jesus was speaking about their sins. Not the crowd who was there for the one night only, listen to Jesus' session. They stayed. They didn't pick up a stone. They knew the law. Then Jesus stood up again, stooping down the whole time. He says to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Now you've got to understand, he's the one who speaks of authority. She's got to be terrified. No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Think about that reaction the next time you endeavor to judge another in your own self-righteousness. The law says stone her. They bring, him, they bring her to him and he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. You want to, Jesus is freedom. Jesus is freedom. Religion is bondage. Jesus comes in love. He says later on in another area of the, the Gospels, he says, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Are we his followers come to condemn the world even though he came to give grace and love? Do we condemn it through our own judgment, our own self-righteousness? Hey, I've been saved for 50 years. I read my Bible every single day. I'm in prayer an hour every single day. I tithe, I fast, I do all the, I follow the law, therefore I'm righteous. We do the same thing that the scribes and the Pharisees did. Why? Because we live in this, exist, in this fallen world and the enemy who has created religion tries to seduce our minds and say, listen, there's a set of rules that you can follow to be good enough. And then when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and accept, accept his blood, we run right back to the law and say, I'm good now because I have the blood. Self-reflection and humility. Don't be the one who judges. Now I know there's a lot of teachers and preachers who will talk about judgment and that how we're to judge others. I, I struggle with that. I don't necessarily want to contend with that. I do want to, however, talk about what Jesus does. See, how many of the self-righteous among us presume to judge our fellow man, even our brothers in Christ? How many of you judge others when they come to church? You judge how they dress. You judge how they speak. You judge how they worship. I'm guilty of this. Stop. What is that to you? 
nothing. How is it then that they are, you? If, if you believe that they're doing something wrong or they're sinning or they're, they're not gonna be convicted or conciliated by your judgment, but by your love and your walking in the humility of the word. See, the, mentions of, the mention of the elders first, followed by the others, there's a purpose for that. Because the elders were more conscious of their sins and therefore were con more convicted by Jesus' word. They're older. They know what they've done. You see, authority. Jesus handled the situation with grace and discernment, showing that he understood the hearts of those present. The heart of the woman, the heart of the those who were there to listen, and the heart of the Pharisees and the scribes. He knew their hearts. His response exposed the emptiness of their plot to trap him and demonstrated his compassion toward the woman. So, did he show compassion to the scribes and the Pharisees? Yes, but differently than he showed it to the woman. Because they are all in sin. Yes, she's caught in the act of adultery. What are they caught in the act of right there? Self-righteousness that they even go to Almighty God himself and say, look at our self-righteousness and look, look at our righteousness and look at her, this sinner. Jesus knows their heart. He knows your heart. He knows the heart of those who are judging you. Endeavor not to be one of those who judges. No one knows the heart but God. You don't know your fellow Christian's heart. You don't know the stranger's heart. And yet we presume to know everything, don't we? I do. Remember, let this catch in your spirit. Self-reflect. Why am I speaking death over this person? Think about that. And so when I spoke about the boss earlier, the, the boss may be a, you know, not a great boss. Do you speak death over your boss? He's God's delegated authority in your workplace. Do you speak death over him? Do you gossip? Do you grumble? I, I've done that. Oh my goodness, I'm so far behind. <laughs> um, see, we go back to Romans 2. Romans 1, Paul talks about how the Gentiles, all men are sinners. They are without excuse. And so while the Jews are reading this, I'm sure, in Romans 1, back in the day, they were like, yeah, give it to them, Paul. Give it to them because they believed that they had special status and that they, therefore, who had the law, were had been given the law, had privilege, and therefore that was not applicable to them. And then Romans 2 comes. Paul knew that the self-righteous people tend to justify themselves by blaming others, as I said. And in Romans 2, he ad addresses the religious hypocrisy of those who judge others. You see, self-righteousness keeps people from seeing their need for the gospel. If I am righteous according to the law, I don't need the gospel. I don't need the blood of Christ because I have a special place as a Jew, a holder of the law. I don't need the blood. I don't need a savior because I have something else. What a lie from the pit of hell. See, these people, keep, they, they can't see they believe the lie that we can be good enough in ourselves to qualify for heaven. Thus, we are not in need of a savior. Well, 
I'm on page two of an 11 pages that I wrote. Uh, I have so much more to talk about, but I have a time constraint as well I should, and I'm under authority, and it is, I'm going to stop now because I can come back and talk about this next time, right? But I want you to think about what, what we talked about tonight. Consider, self-reflect. Self-reflect on your own heart, your own words. Self-reflect on your own judgment of others. Also, don't be, don't be so moved by the self-righteousness of others judging you. They're not your judge. You've been judged on the cross. And, the, and, and, and if you've been judged on the cross, you are free from sin. You are righteous, which means you have right standing with God. And that never changes. There is no gradations of righteousness. There is like, well, they're kind of righteous. There is either righteousness or there is not righteousness. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are immediately righteous and shall be that way throughout eternity. Doesn't mean you have all the answers right away. It doesn't mean all your character flaws are gone. It doesn't mean instantaneously you're, you know. But what it means is, in the sight of Almighty God, you are righteous. And so, those of you who are listening or watching, if you don't really know or never really accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you never really understood that accepting the blood sacrifice his sacrifice was in replace to replace your sins. See, he was the sinless lamb. You and I are the sinner. And being sinners, we are guilty. Jesus, however, takes on that guilt on the cross. It says in Romans 10:9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternal separation from God, eternal death, and far worse. And far worse, that's bad enough. I don't want to be separated from God for eternity. I don't want to be separated from God for five minutes, which is one of the reasons why my own sin is so abhorrent to me. I don't want to be separated from God. Not that I'm separated from God, but you understand, I'm in love with Jesus. And so, if you would like to be able to make that statement and to, and, and to be forgiven so that you can have a relationship with Almighty God who came down to earth to pay for your sins, I'm gonna say a prayer and you can say it at home. <clears throat> Dear God in heaven, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross that he rose again on the third day. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Become my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for washing me as white as snow. I thank you for a relationship with you that will last for eternity. Thank you for forgiving my sins. I thank you for accepting me as your blood-bought, precious own and that I am now born again in the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
So if you've said that prayer or said it again after maybe saying it when you're younger, angels in heaven are rejoicing because you have accepted Jesus. You are a new creation. I'm hopeful that this evening was a blessing. I will come back and speak about this topic again. Uh, I think it's, it's rich, it's deep with meaning to us. And if we could put away our own righteousness, which is as filthy rags, and accept his righteousness and, and walk in love towards him and to others, we'll be far less likely to be self-righteous judges of others and therefore walk and live in peace and joy. God bless you and thank you for your time. We'll see you next time. Good night.